0: how are y'all good uh as nathan said i am i'm jared Froman. i'm the student pastor here at bahia and um i've been student pastor for just about a year started in last october um as our other student pastor uh found a new ministry position full-time ministry position in texas uh you know we forgive him for that, but you know, here we are. And like Nathan said, I have been asked several times by several people when I'm gonna preach, and eventually Justice stopped asking me and he just told me. So here we are, and uh, it's crazy to think that I am right here or that I that I'm the student pastor, you know, on Wednesday nights when we have our youth group. I never imagined that God would use me in this way. And um, especially, you know, I still feel like a kid. You know, I'm 25, but I still feel like a kid. I've got I've got two children of my own, uh, but I don't quite know when that point of feeling like an adult kicks in. Uh... Never. Okay. Good. I'm glad I'm not the only one. But uh, Justice, you know, when he he was younger than I am, when he became lead pastor here, and it got me wondering, like, man, what is wrong with you guys? Well, I mean, we're some young bucks, you know? And y'all y'all put your your souls in our hands. So uh, I guess you guys trust that you have raised us up. So, uh, if you'll turn to Ephesians chapter 2 with me today, Uh, I think, as you can tell, you know, I like to make jokes, I like to be funny, and you know, like Justice likes to be funny sometimes, believe it or not, I'm actually funnier than Justice is, but but, uh, today I just felt pressed to uh, really try and take this a little more seriously, and uh, you know, I don't know depending on how well this goes, if I'll ever be asked to do this again. So uh, I thought I'd take this opportunity to, to, really, to really tell you what's on my heart. And um, sometimes uh, I think we can come to church on Sunday morning and it's just routine. It's just routine. And it's just we come to church because we're Christians and that's what we do. And... Um, Maybe you hope to get something out of it uh, when it comes to to worship. Um, Maybe you're just singing the lyrics because they're on the screen and you're just moving with the melody and you forget why we're here. And so today, excuse me. Sure, you probably wouldn't believe me if I told you I'm not an emotional person. But I really, it's probably the the biggest problem that is in my marriage is that I'm not emotional enough. I'm pretty much like dead emotionally. Um, I, I don't cry at funerals, you know, I don't cry when I injure myself. And it's not something I'm bragging about. I wish I could be more emotional. But around like a year or so ago, God. I like to say that he broke something in me, but really he fixed something in me. And I still don't get emotional for those other things, but the gospel makes me emotional. Because it's real. So I want today... can see how amazing God's grace is. You know, Amazing Grace is probably the most popular Christian worship song that's ever been written. You see it sung on uh, America's Got Talent probably every year. Um, but we've lost the meaning of it. We sing it because we're familiar with it. God's grace is amazing. But in order to see God's grace for how great it is, we have to see our condition without that grace, and our sin, as terrible as it really is, so we have to go through that before we get to the good news, so Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 10. Coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. We pray with you. God. Father. You're so holy. You're so good and righteous. Bless us with your grace, with your mercy and your love. Lord, we thank you. Lord, I pray that you open our hearts to your word today. Speak to us. That you would take our, out our hearts of stone and give us a heart of flesh. Make your spirit live within us, Lord. Father, I pray that you will strengthen me, give me the words to speak, give me peace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So a little bit of context in Ephesians. The Apostle Paul wrote this book, uh, or this letter to the Ephesians, which um, they were the city in Asia Minor at the time, which was is modern-day Turkey. Um, and he was writing to Gentiles. And so Gentiles basically means not Jews, okay? So that's us. That includes us. So he's writing to the Gentiles, and um, he's showing them just what God has done, showing them that they are included. It's not just for the Jews anymore. God has made it possible for all to be saved. So we see this uh, as He addresses it. At first, He says, "You were dead in the trespasses and sins," speaking to the Gentiles. But later, He can t- He He um, brings in Himself and the Jews and when he says, uh, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. So, starting out, uh, verse 1, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead. No, No, this is not a literal death. Obviously, this is spiritually dead spiritually dead without Christ you are spiritually dead when God looks at you he sees a corpse there's nothing good that can come from you we're dead in our trespasses and sins trespasses is like um, knowing God's law and rebelling against it sins is a term used for archery it's like missing the mark and so it's like knowing God's law and trying to fulfill it, but you can't. You miss the mark. So not only uh, in the eyes of God are you dead, but you are a rebel and a failure. This is not good. This is not good. In this death, we see three things that we were walking in. And I read one commentary said that uh, this word "walk." would probably be better translated as meander. We're just wandering around with no purpose no plan no end goal dead in our sin like zombies now there's there's three things that we are walking in, following in our dead sin the course of this world now the world Is uh, kind of what's around us. The culture around us, the outside influences that are not godly. We are following the course of this world. And where does the course of this world lead? To destruction. That's where we're headed without God, without His grace. Following the prince of the power of the air, that's the devil. You didn't know you were following the devil, did you? But James um, chapter 4 says, if you are a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. There's no middle ground. You're for him or you're against him. Now, the devil's not omnipresent, so it's not like he is personally, you know, you're following him personally. Uh, but he works in this world in many ways. Without God, we are working right alongside of him. So the world, the devil, um, and the flesh. He says, and the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Now the flesh, um, in this Context is the sense of it's not your literal flesh and bone, you know, it's you, it's your passions, your desires. And so, Paul's really laying it on us. He's, uh, first he says, Well, you're following the world, and you're like, Well, everybody follows the world, right? That's not too bad. Okay, well, you're following the devil. Okay, that's a little bit worse, right? You're following the devil. But those two things are out of my control. Those are outside of me. I don't want to do that. Those things are kind of influencing me. He says, well, okay, well, you're, you're following the, your flesh, the passions and desires of the body and the mind. It's not just the world and the devil tempting you. James uh, chapter, let's see if I can find it. James Chapter one says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. When you're tempted, you're tempted by what you want. You can never be tempted to do something you don't want to do. When you are tempted to sin, it's because you want to sin. It's not just outside forces. It is you rooted deeply in you. You are dead in your sin. This is our condition. But he says, among whom we all once lived. This is the condition of everyone. Every single person. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. So these are sins like uh, in the body. It's sins like, you know, fornication, adultery, um, stealing, lying. Sins of the mind are things like uh, hatred, lust, and pride. We are through and through sinful creatures. This is our condition. Now he says, we were by nature children of wrath. So this is our nature. In case you think that you were good when you were a kid, or you were born okay, you were born innocent, uh, Psalm chapter 51, David writes that, In sin, my mother conceived me. And he's not talking about his mother slept with someone outside of marriage. He's saying, even in my conception, I was in sin. We have a sin nature that we cannot escape. We were born dead in our sins. Now he says, children of wrath. So I know we like to say that we're all children of God, right? Well, the Bible doesn't know anything of everyone being children of God. Only in the sense that he's the creator of all men. But not in the familiar sense. He is not Abba, Father to all. And without Christ, you are children of wrath. Children of wrath. The verses before says, sons of disobedience. And so I I believe that, now he's speaking to believers. So he's, he's using past tense, you were, you were, you were. But he says that now is at work in the sons of disobedience. And so that is the people who are still unbelieving, still without Christ. They are still dead in their sins. But you were once that way. You were sons of disobedience and children of wrath. That's not a good family, and it doesn't lead to anything good. Now, I um, was talking to Justice. He was telling me about this, um, this conference that was held, and I watched the video. This conference called uh, Classic Christianity, which is kind of ironic because the people who are putting on this conference do not have Classic Christianity. Okay, it's a very modern, watered-down Christianity. And so, but they asked this great question uh, to one of the panel members, which was, they asked it to Justin Bieber's pastor, uh, Judas Smith. So you, it, if you probably see where this is going, right? It's not anywhere good. Um, so they asked him, what, you know, when you're giving people the gospel, you have to, you say, you need to be saved, you need to be saved well, you need to tell them uh, what they're being saved from. That's a great That's a great question, right? So what are we saved from? You know, like if you push somebody out from in front of a bus and you say, I saved you, and they didn't see the bus, they'd say, they'd probably be mad at you for shoving them, right? you got to tell them, well, you were just about to get hit by a bus, right? But, so this is the same question, you know, you need to be saved, well, what do I need to be saved from? And this pastor's answer was, uh, we need to be saved from ourselves. We need to be saved from ourselves. That makes me sick. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, did not die on a cross to save you from yourself. He saved you from God. God. From His wrath that was upon you. You see, when Jesus was in the, in the garden of Gethsemane, He was before He was uh, betrayed and taken. He was He knew what was about to happen, and He was on His knees crying out to God, God, let this cup pass from me. But not Your will. Or not my will, but yours, Lord. Says he was sweating drops like blood. What would cause the Son of God to tremble at what was about to happen? Was it just that he was going to be beaten and crucified, hung on a tree for a few hours? And I'm not trying to belittle what happened. That was horrible and painful and excruciating. But you see, his apostles, who who cowered when he was taken, they were later later martyred boldly. They weren't quivering. Stephen stood and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, as they were stoning him to death. James, the half-brother of Jesus, he was thrown off a temple. And when he hit the ground, he didn't die. And so he stood back up and started saying the same thing, God forgive them. God forgive them as they were stoning him because he wasn't dead yet until someone took a club and beat his head in. Peter, who denied Jesus three times when he was taken, he was crucified for preaching the gospel and he didn't think he was worthy To be crucified like his Lord. So he asked him to crucify him upside down. How can these men. Stand in the face of death boldly. And Jesus tremble in the garden. Was it just because he was going to be crucified. No. He said father. Let this cup pass from me. What was in the cup. It was the wrath of God. Jesus knew how great God's wrath is. He knew what he was about to endure on the cross. Isaiah 53.10 says that it was the will of God to crush him. King James Version says it pleased God to crush him. God poured out all of his wrath that was meant for you and high on his son That's what caused Jesus to tremble and ask for the cup to pass from him. He knew how great God's wrath was and what he was about to endure. It wasn't just hanging on a tree. We were children of wrath. God's wrath was resting upon us. We were dead in our sins. Following the world and the devil in our flesh. Now this is probably the most underrated two word, words Paul has ever written. But God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Not, but you. It wasn't anything you did. It was what God did. Because of His mercy. Because of His love. Even when you were dead, you weren't just getting better. And that's why He decided to do it. You were dead. He made you alive in Christ. And he interjects right here, by grace you have been saved. It kind of looks out of place. And it's like Paul is building this up and building this up. And he's like, don't get ahead of yourself. Don't even for a second think that this was anything that you did. You have no merit in your salvation." It was by grace and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Excuse me. So it wasn't enough that he just made us alive. He didn't just make you alive. He seated you in the heavenly places. He raised you up and kept on raising you up. He didn't just forgive you, he glorified you. Made you alive together in Christ. Seated you in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Even now, if you are in Christ, Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Even now, if you are in Christ, you are seated with Christ in heaven. This is good news, amen? It wasn't good before. Now it is good. And it wasn't enough that he made us alive, but he seated us in heaven. So that. So why? Why? Why did he make us alive? Why did he die on the cross? Why did he do all of this? So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He didn't do this to show you how great you were. He did this to show you how great he is. He didn't save you because of who you are or what you've done. He saved you in spite of who you are and what you've done. God saves sinners. He doesn't save righteous. He saves sinners. For by grace you have been saved. Through faith, this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. So I believe in, that the Bible teaches that we are totally depraved. Like, the, like this passage, passage uh, describes that we are dead. We have no ability to seek after God. Romans um, chapter 3 10 through 12 says, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. It's not, you are not saved because of what Jesus did on the cross plus you believing, okay? It wasn't your decision. You were incapable of following Christ because you were dead. He had to make you alive. Just as Lazarus in the tomb when Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. He had to be alive before he could hear Jesus' voice. You were born again, you were made alive before you can even believe. You're incapable. Do you see? Do you see how all of the glory goes to God? All of the glory goes to God. It wasn't that I heard the gospel and I responded and this person heard the gospel and they didn't respond and, and I'm saved because, well, I guess I'm smarter Maybe I, I realized that this was a better better decision to follow Jesus than it was to reject him. Or maybe I'm more spiritual. You know, I'm more open to, to spiritual things and letting God's grace work in, in my life and he made me, made me decide. No. This was a gift of God so that no one may boast. God made you alive. The difference between you responding to the gospel and someone who doesn't is that God made you alive, and they are still dead. Some people take this and they think, um, well, why doesn't God save everyone? Why doesn't God make everyone alive? If it's God and not us, and, and it's not that, you know, I made a decision and somebody doesn't, but it's God that makes the decision. How is that, how is God loving in that? That's not fair. You don't want God to be fair. If God is fair, we all go to hell. You want God to be gracious. But God's not only gracious. He's not only loving. He's also just. I heard two uh, two Christians um, debating uh, over this sort of thing. And one said, well, if this is how it is, then... It's like uh, there's 20 men in a burning building and God has the ability to save all of these men, but he only saves three. How is God right in doing that? And the other guy responded. He said, no, 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 no. You don't understand. You think all these men deserve to be saved. He said, "This in reality, this is a king who there's 20 rebels who have pillaged his castle, raped his wife, destroyed his law, and now they're hiding out in a house, and they, they themselves have set it on fire. And the king's son rushes into the building, sacrificing his own life to save a few. You don't deserve to be saved. God did it anyway. That's why it's so great. All glory goes to God. Now, now that we see that we were dead. And that we've been made alive. He concludes with saying, So, like, what does this, what what does it look like after we've been made alive, after we've been born again? Which is interesting how Jesus uses those terms, born again, in in John chapter 3. I don't know about you, but I had no uh, part in my birth, I didn't make a decision to be born, to be conceived. It was all totally out of my power. And when I'm born again, it's the exact same way. He says, not a result of works that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You are a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all has been made new. You're not the same. If you're in Christ, you're not the same. Your life doesn't look the same. Since it's not just you saying, I believe, it's not about, well, you know, I, I came down uh, to the altar call when I was six years old and I prayed the prayer. Now I'm still a, a living with my girlfriend and I'm a drug addict and my life looks nothing like Christ, but I'm saved. Although it's nothing that you do, because it's nothing that you do and it's all Christ, it's amazing when it happens. It's like if I were to tell you Paul Washer used this illustration. If I were to tell you, you know, I, I was late uh, this morning. If I was late this morning and uh, I came up to justice and he said, dude, what are you doing? You're preaching this morning. Why are you late? Oh, well, uh, I had to stop on the side of the road because I had a flat tire and on the way here. And as I was changing the tire, uh, I backed up and stepped into the road and an 18-wheeler ran me over. That's why I was late. He'd probably say, okay, either two things. You're a liar or you're insane. Probably both, right? Because when you're hit by an 18-wheeler, it changes you, right? There will be evidence And when you encounter the Son of God, it changes you. You're not the same. This word workmanship is the Greek word poema. It's where we get the word poem. It's like God is writing this beautiful poem that is your life. And now the art has no boast in itself. It did not create itself. It was created by the artist. As beautiful as the poem is, it's only that way because the, the poet made it that way. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. We are not saved by our works. We are saved for good works. As Jesus said time and time again, how you will know them by their fruit. He said... uh, He said, does a fig tree produce thistles? Does the thistle bush produce figs? No. You will know them by their fruit. Now understand this. A fig tree is not a fig tree because it produces fruit. It produces figs because it is a fig tree. In the same way, we are not saved because we produce works. We produce works because we are saved. Um, now this does not mean that we are perfect because we are still in this fleshly body still living in this world still battling against the devil um 1 John 1.8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. We're still in this fleshly body that will one day pass away. We're still plagued by this fallen world. We still sin. As uh, John Piper said, you know you're saved not by the perfection of your life, but by the direction of your life. Do you see the evidence? Do you see the fruit in your life? Do you see where your life is going? Is your life producing or pursuing holiness? Do you see this? Do you read this? And see where you were before God's grace and go, God, I just want to do your work. I just want to do your will. I don't want to sin anymore. When you sin, do you feel rotten inside? David did. Go read Psalm 51. Do you feel rotten inside? Is your heart broken? God says he will not despise a broken and contrite heart. Confess your sins and you will be forgiven. Now in a minute we're we're gonna sing us one more song together. Um But I'm hoping that today you have seen the glory of God's grace. I'm hoping today you have seen the wretchedness of your state without Christ. And so for the saints in this room, the believers in this room, I just want you to know, anytime you think, um, I'm doing pretty good, you know? I'm doing pretty good. God loves me or he's blessing me because I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I haven't, I'm pretty moral. You know, I don't say cuss words and this or that. You are dead. And it's nothing you do that saves you. And to the sinner in this room, the one who is still dead. And you think, man, if this is true, my sin is so great. How could God ever forgive me? Jesus' blood is powerful, and it forgives all sins. There is hope in Christ. The only hope is in Christ. So in uh, Acts chapter two in the day of Pentecost, um, Peter preached a sermon, and after he was done preaching, those who heard it said, it says that they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart, and they asked him what they should do. And he said, "Repent, be baptized and believe." If God's word has spoken to you this morning and cut you to the heart and you are not in Christ, come alive. Come alive. If you want to know Christ as your Savior, uh, We'll have our prayer team up here. We'll be happy after service to talk to you about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But as we conclude, um, like I said, a lot of times we can we can come to service sing the songs, and it just be repetitive, and it just be um, nothing, you know. We just do it because we know the lyrics, or they're on the screen, and you sing along with the melody. You don't know what you're singing, and it has no effect on your spirit. As we sing this song, I just ask that you dwell what we've just read. You dwell on what you've just heard about your condition without Christ and what he's done for you. So church, will you please stand with me and worship one last time? <laughs>
1: think about the Lord, how he saved me, how he raised me, how he filled me with the Holy Ghost, how he healed me to the uttermost, when I think about the Lord, how he picked me up and turned me around, how he set my feet on solid ground.